This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 124. Psalm 124, we continue our series of studies in these Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 134, these songs for pilgrims, songs for travelers. Today we're looking at Psalm 124, verses 1 through 8. Hear the Word of God. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. Torrent would have gone over us. And over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the scriptures which are able to make us wise for salvation. Father, we recognize as we come to this passage today that while in one sense, in one level, we come to the words of a man, we also recognize in a far uh, more important level, we come to the word of God. And so, Father, as we read these words, as we think about them and study them now, we pray Father, for light, for your light, pray for your blessing on the preaching of your word to accomplish your purposes. And Father, we worship you in the study of your word now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In extremis, it's a Latin phrase, literally means in the last, uh, but it refers to being at the point of death the Roman Catholic practice of extreme unction or last rites takes its name from that sense of the term. But by extension, it can also refer to being in any dire circumstance, in any perilous condition. For example, the astronauts of Apollo 13 traveling to and around the moon and back in a crippled spaceship were certainly in extremis in a particularly outstanding way. But there are times in our lives as well where that phrase might apply. Maybe it was a severe illness where you really were at risk of dying, or maybe it was a devastating financial 
reversal or setback, or maybe it was a weather-related catastrophe, or maybe it was actually wartime combat situations that unless the Lord acts, unless he intervenes, as far as we can tell, it is all over. That's the kind of situation that is described here in Psalm 124. As we look at it, we want to think about it under two headings. First of all, what might have been, and then why it wasn't. First of all, what might have been. Now, we often use that expression to refer to something good that could have been. We might we may say with regret uh, or remorse, oh, what, what might have been. But, you know, we could also that, say that with a sense of, of relief, what might have been, what could have happened in a worst-case scenario. Well, that's in a sense where this psalm starts. It starts rather abruptly. It just picks up with this hypothetical, if, the very first word of the psalm, if, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now, the way it's stated implies just the opposite, that in fact it was the Lord who was on our side. But the psalm thinks about what the situation would have been if the Lord had not been on our side, if he had not been for us. In a sense, he's playing, let's pretend. Let's think about what might have happened. Let's sort of look at an alternative to history, an alternate history that that could have happened. You know, you get that in, in time travel. For example, one of my favorite movies from the 80s, Back to the Future, uh, he goes back, right? Marty McFly goes back to 30 years, to 1955, uh, where he actually interacts with his parents. Well, before they were his parents, in fact, before they had met or anything had happened. But unfortunately, he also alters things so that his parents would not meet, would not fall in love, get married. He would never have been born. And so he's starting to fed it. Of course, you, you always run into this paradox in time travel that if, in fact, that had happened and he had not been born, then he wouldn't be there to go back and interfere in time. His parents met and he would have been born. Then you wind up in the endless loop, paradox of time travel. But but the psalmist is, is saying, let's look at an alternate, an alternate history. What might have been, what could have happened if it was not the Lord who had been on our side? And, and he repeats it to emphasize just how close a call this was. In fact, he doesn't so much repeat it as he calls on Israel to say it with him. It's as if he says, are you listening? Let's say it together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. That's how dire this was. That's how close a call it was. But what was the dire situation? Well, he says in in verse 2, the end of the verse, when people rose up against us. Now, we've looked at this in the context of making pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Uh, you could think about pilgrims traveling if there was a, a, a gang of bandits who came against them. The, uh, the superscription there, a song of ascents of David. If it's David who is writing this, and I say if, because there's some debate whether those initial words were original or added later. I'm inclined to think they, they probably have some weight to them. Uh, If it's David who wrote these words, recalling a close call, we could think of a number of situations in his life uh, where people rose up against him. Uh, For example, uh, after he was anointed king, the Philistines came after them 
mounted a large attack. And uh, David inquires of the Lord, do we go to war against the Philistines? The Lord says, do it. And he does it, and they, they rout the Philistines. Or think later in David's reign, that tragic turn of events where his own son Absalom raises up a rebellion against David, and there's war between David and those loyal to him and his son Absalom and those who were loyal to him. And the Lord gave David victory, but at the heartbreaking cost of his own son, and yet his reign uh, continued. It was it was secure and reestablished. So we can think of some of these kinds of situations of people rising up against him where he was preserved. But whatever the original context the psalm has in mind, uh, there's a sense in which this really has universal application. It's, it's just as well it's not more specified than it was because this is a psalm now for the church. Because the church has enemies that rise up against us from the outside, and even those who rise up against the church in more subtle ways from the inside. And we also see this not just in terms of the church as, as a group of people, but individually we experience this same kind of response. You know, if it had not been the Lord who was on my side, if it had not been the Lord who was for me, who acted here We think of what might have happened, what could have happened. Well, what if the Lord had not been there? What then? Well, the psalm uses several different, uh, very graphic images, poetic images to describe what happened. The psalms are poetry. He could have just said in, in, in rather prosaic, mundane ways what could have happened, but he uses these images that sort of, uh, that don't just inform the mind, but sort of grip the emotions. And help us to sort of experience that sense of fear uh, over what could have happened. Let's look at some of them. First, the image of being swallowed up. Look at verse 3. When people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Now, how do how are we to understand being swallowed up? Well, we think of times even when, when the earth opened and swallowed people up in God's judgment on them. Uh, Earlier, or later in the psalm, rather, he refers to the idea of being in the teeth of an animal. If he has the idea of being swallowed up by an animal, we'll look at that in just a minute, the point of being consumed, of being swallowed up, of being removed in in this way. Another image that he uses is that of being washed away or even drowning. And we see this uh, in verse 4. In verse 5, he says, Then if this had been true, if the Lord had not been for us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Again, there's this this horrifying image. And actually, it's very similar to what we read in Jonah chapter 2, when Jonah uh, describes his own account of being thrown into the sea. Listen to the similarity, what Jonah says, Jonah 2, 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. And it's not even just the, the imagery. And, and the Jews didn't really like the sea. The sea was a, was, a, was a threat. The sea was symbolic of chaos, turmoil. Uh, they, they were not big fans of the sea. It wasn't like the Phoenicians. They, they did not really embrace the sea. And 
a lot of times the image of judgment or of horror in the scripture involves the sea. You cast me into the deep. Uh, but it's not just the imagery, but it's the repetition. Now, you're probably familiar with Hebrew to know that it employs parallelism. It really likes to, to use parallelism where it says something and then it says it again in a different way, but it effectively means the same thing, which, by the way, can help interpreting a phrase. Well, what does the parallel phrase say? Maybe more plainly. Just a, a random example. Uh, I'm looking through the psalm, Psalm 88, 2 through 4. Listen, listen you can hear the parallelism very clearly. Two, it comes two at a time. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Two different ways of saying it, but effectively saying the same thing. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. Again, basically saying the same thing two different ways. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. So you have these two statements parallel, saying the same thing, just in a, in a poetic variation, a different way of saying the same thing. You get the, same, you get the picture how this works. Now, occasionally... The Hebrew writer will engage in triple parallelism. There is such an expression where it's not just two things, but three things that are lined up. Now, you're familiar, too, with, with Hebrew using repetition for emphasis. The classic example is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that threefold repetition to indicate how magnificently holy he really is. But that same threefold repetition can occur in this parallel way. And so listen again with that in mind to verses 4 and 5. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. He's not saying something different each time. He's saying basically the same thing. But he says it in different ways, not twice, but three times to emphasize the, the utter horror of what would have happened to them as, as this raging flood. And certainly over the last number of years, we in the news have seen, and maybe a little bit firsthand, uh, have experienced the, the power of water, whether it's the storm surge of Hurricane Katrina that devastates the coastland, or the tsunami it washes in over Japan. Uh, maybe you've seen some of those images of that water just, just washing away boats and cars and buildings and people. Or the floodwaters of the Mississippi just burying acres and square miles of land underwater, people's rooftops peeking out from the surface of the water. We, we can sympathize a little bit with what the psalmist says when he describes in this threefold way the devastation of the flood. That's the image he's going for. Utter destruction. Another image he uses, this graphic image, to, to describe what would have happened if it had not been the Lord who was on our side is that of being eaten alive. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. I can't imagine a more horrifying way to go than to be eaten alive. By an animal. We're, we're so familiar with Jonah that the horror of that tends to, to wash over us without making much of an impact. Not only his being cast into the sea, 
But out of the murky depths of the sea, this, this great sea creature comes and, and opens its mouth and, and swallows Jonah. Imagine it's you in the murky depths of the water and this shadow emerges and you realize you've just been eaten. We lose a sense of the, the horror of that. Uh, or perhaps the, as he says here, describing the teeth of an animal getting shredded and consumed in a shark attack. Or a lion or a bear. Something along those lines. Again, these images are designed simply to convey the horror, the terror, the extreme depth of the situation if the Lord does not intervene. And the fourth image he uses is that of being a trap, like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. Have you ever had one of those dreams where someone is coming after you and you want to run, but it's like your legs are in concrete and you can't move? It's kind of maybe the experience of being trapped. Uh, you probably don't recall, maybe you recall, and I mentioned it, Aaron Ralston uh, hiking out in Utah back in 2003, whose arm was pinned uh, when a boulder dislodged and, uh, and caught him and pinned his arm and he couldn't get out. And you know he eventually wound up amputating part of his own arm uh, to, to save his life. The feeling of being there trapped and, and the and more he tried to, to get his arm dislodged, to get loose, get away, the more he realized this was not happening. He was not getting out of there and no one knew where he was. And you can imagine the feeling of being trapped. You can't get out. You can't get away. You're going to die. That is an in extremis situation. And so it's all these images of being swallowed up, of being washed away, of being eaten alive, of being trapped. Four of the most horrific images the psalmist could devise to communicate to us the horror, the extremity of the situation if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now, before we move on to consider a little happier picture, uh, let's think just a minute. Stop and think about this. What if God had not intervened in your life? Where would you be right now? Some of us might be dead. At best, we might be living a relatively comfortable life without God, without knowledge of Christ, still in our sins, still children of wrath, still under the judgment of God. Your friends, the image of being swallowed up, the image of being washed away, the image of being eaten alive, the image of being trapped, are pictures of hell. That's hell. Being consumed, being drowned, being devoured, being trapped with no escape forever. Where would we be if the Lord had not intervened? Well, we might have died on the operating table. We might have had to declare bankruptcy. But above all, where we would be is in the fires of hell. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side.
We would have been left Christless. We would have been left in the power and under the penalty of our sins. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now, why it has not been is the second thing we want to look at. What might have been, and it's a horrifying picture, what might have been, but why wasn't it? Why has it not been that way? Well, let's look at what he says in Psalm 134. And it's, it's, there's no, or Psalm 124, there's no hard break or distinction here. Uh, between the first part and second part, they sort of are interwoven. What does it mean to have the Lord on our side? Well, it means that no matter what happens, the Lord has our back. I remember being in, in grade school, in a carpool, going to school with different kids who went to the school, some of whom were older. And there was one uh, boy in particular who was pretty young, but he was a good bit older and bigger than I was, and I can remember any time I was at school, if he might try to pick on me, I would, and he was nearby, you know, I'd catch his eye or get his attention, and he'd come over, and just his being there was enough to sort of take care of things. He kind of had my back, because we were in a carpool together. And that was, that was reassuring. Well, how much more to know that it's not just another human being, but it's the Lord who is on our side, the Lord who has our back. What does it mean? The Lord is on our side. He is for us. Well, it means this. It means he's acted in the death and resurrection of Christ to reconcile us to himself. It means he assures us that in Christ he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That he has bound himself to us in an everlasting covenant. That he is our God and we are his people. We're not in a carpool with him. We're in a covenant with him. Bound fast in this eternal bond sealed by the blood of Christ, an expression of the love of God. And he promises that he will work all things in this world, things that happen by his sovereign decree, by the way, all things in this world for our glory and uh, for his glory, rather, and for our good. And there's no safer place to be. There's no better place to be than we could be. As Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, if you're paying attention, you think, well, but hard things do happen to Christians. That's right. That's not to say that they won't. And this psalm does not say that they won't. Christians, like non-Christians, get cancer. Watch their IRA tank. They die in plane crashes. Christians suffer these things as well. The difference is that those things will not destroy you. That those things do not bring you despair. They won't, ca- they won't cause you to, to curse God. In fact, they may even be a means of blessing to you or a means by which blessing comes to you, particularly through the suffering, as Paul spoke. Yes, we endure affliction with Christ, that we might experience the comforts of Christ. And if you should be the one to die, it means that you will not perish in hell, as if the Lord had not been on your side. But it means that you will be with him in heaven. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had confidence that that God was able to save them. And they seem to have a high amount of confidence that God would save them. But you'll notice they also qualified it 
he, he is able to save us and he will save us. He will save us. But if not, kind of reminds me of the man's statement, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? The Lord is able to save us, absolutely, no question about that. And the Lord will save us because we're his and we're standing for him. But if he doesn't, well, we're still not going to bow down and worship your, your gods. It's, just not, it's not happening because we serve the Lord. And we serve him whether he saves us or whether he allows us to perish in testimony to him in this fiery furnace. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood Psalm 124. They knew what we need to know. They knew that great affirmation which, with which this psalm ends in verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That really is the, the, the conclusion, the acme, the, the, the destination of this psalm. All of it heading toward verse 8. You know, sometimes a psalm might state its theme right at the beginning. This one proceeds more inductively. It goes through all of these things and it comes to verse 8 with this, with this theme, with this conclusion. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And you probably say that, amen. But let me ask you this. Is that true of your life? Is the Lord, the Creator, your help? Or deep down, are you really trusting in other things? Are you really trusting in your influence, or your abilities, or your position, or your power, or your money, or whatever else you might have going for you in this world? What are you trusting in? What are you looking to? What is really your help? Is it the Lord? Don't be surprised if the Lord might put you in extremis to strip away everything else to show you that ultimately all of those things cannot help you. Put you in a situation where money can't save you. Your abilities can't save you. Your friends can't save you. To make you realize the truth of verse 8. And so we look to him and we give praise to him. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us over. And we affirm the goodness of God and our dependence upon God because, dear brothers and sisters, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, that is true, and we readily acknowledge that that is true, but sometimes in our day-to-day behavior we can forget that that's true. Father, we pray that we wouldn't have to be put in extreme situations to be reminded that ultimately you alone are our help. Father, we look to you, we trust in you, we pray to you because we realize you are our help in all things. Lord, we pray that by your grace you would always be the first one we look to, not the last. First one, to protect and to provide and to save. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.